there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. Derek here and joining this week is a guy that we don't have on the podcast enough. Like I always forget about you and I'm going to blame you for living out in Tennessee. It's Brandon Vogel, uh, the the head guy behind Hale Varsity. Brandon, how are you, man? I'm doing well. I, I take that as a compliment. Like I, I try to blend in for the most part. So if I'm easily forgettable, that's uh, that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm striving for. So no, no offense oh. taken. In fact, I think it's a compliment. Okay. Okay. I was about to say, well, damn. Now we're off to a horrible start. I called you forgettable. No, no I don't think you did. <laughs> um, it's just kind of where my where my mind went so and that's 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 my own stuff Derek you know I don't know if we'll get into all that in this podcast um yeah nothing you did I think we should just scrap the Nebraska talk and have a psychological podcast (laughs) it it looked for uh moments early in this game like that might be what we were headed for um (laughs) a little bit (laughs) Nebraska got the win. Like, I guess we can start there. Uh, yeah, beat Penn State seventy to sixty four, and not quite the the way I think anyone saw that going. Um, I'll turn the tables on you, Derek. What were your gut reactions to that? Oh, oh goodness. Uh, so, so you guys are going to be listening to this on a Friday. We're obviously recording this on a Thursday night. Nebraska just got done beating Penn State, um, and I asked you this question, Brandon, before we started recording. But, and I think we're kind of both in the same place. Like this was a, this was a good win for Nebraska in the sense that this was a game that they could not afford to lose. This was as close to a must-win game as they've had all season. I think, um, though, I'm sure there will probably be a couple more must-win that are of more significance later in the season, or at least you hope so. But this one was like, like they needed to win this game to just kind of right the ship a little bit. And I think, I think people outside the program were like starting to get really antsy. I know I was like after the Iowa game, I guess leading up to the Iowa game, I was like, I was not one of the doom and gloom people around the team. I didn't think, you know, the issues with miles were as horrible as people were talking about. And then Iowa game happened and, Um, I think, you know, kind of the talk going into that one was like, yeah, we're angry. Um, we're upset. And then like the play on the court didn't match what they were saying. And so that was troublesome. Um, and, and like the issues that the team has in in terms of rebounding and streaky shooting, I mean, they were just, they had problems and their depth was exposed. So we get to this game and I'm like, okay, Penn state's not a very good team. Um, Nebraska's at home where they've won 19 straight looking for 20 straight, which would be a program record. Like, Nebraska should win this game by, like, I was thinking that it's got to be by double digits for me to feel really comfortable about it. And obviously, I mean, six points, it was it was close right until the very end. Like, Penn State had a shot like, at the buzzer that almost went in that would have made it a three-point game. And I think a three-point game would have been more indicative of how this thing looked. Like, it looked, like, I know Penn State likes to play a grinded-out game and tries to, to make things a little bit uglier, but... Um, Nebraska got out out rebounded by what was it 15? It was 46 to 32 by 14. Um, the bench. I don't think Tim Miles subbed in the second half. Right. They got one point from their bench overall. Like the issues. Like you cannot play. Roby played 38 minutes. Copeland played 38 minutes. Glenn Watson played 39 minutes. James Palmer played 39 minutes. You can't keep doing that night after night because that, and that's what they've done. They've just played the bench a ton, or they haven't played the bench a ton. Um, and Amir Harris came back and gave them nothing. They need scoring off their bench, and Amir Harris is not a guy that's going to give you that. Like I, I've, I've, I, I, like the the ship is not sinking and the sky is not falling, but like this win doesn't make me feel any better about the current situation of the team. Like offensively, they looked a little better, but like you said this before we started recording, like for long stretches of the game, Roby was the only guy that really showed up for them. 
he he was you know i think the line for this ended up around 11 so you know you thinking double digits is is about right on and and it's sort of a a classic get right game spot you know returning mm-hmm. home sub 500 team winless team in conference they just came out sleepy and you know and i think there were some some plays early on that were kind of lack of effort plays you know turnovers and, and it, it took the crowd out of it. And, you know, you, you always feel this, I think, in, in Pinnacle Bank Arena. Like, the fans are just waiting for a reason to, like, become an advantage. And mm-hmm. I don't think you saw that moment until, you know, well into the second half. And that, that's a problem. You know, the only one who's who was awake was, was Roby. And it just, uh, it felt like, it felt like so many past Nebraska games in a, in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, as, as you mentioned, some of them, like this team's limitations or, or flaws, however you want to term it, are becoming more and more apparent as, as we go on. Um, the, the rebounding, you know, you mentioned the, the overall numbers is 21 to six on the offensive boards, you know, Nebraska outshot them 49% to 36%. You're like, well, what's going on here? Why has this always been like a five point game one way or the other? And because Penn State was getting a ton of second chance opportunities, and even if they weren't shooting it that well, it turned the points often enough for them to to stick in it. And and that's one of those things, you know. Nebraska's not big; they don't have you know sort of classic bigs, but rebounding a lot of times comes down to effort. And I think that's probably Nebraska fans will be happy with a win. That part will stick with them a little bit. And and this was kind of the the middle game. You know, you've got two more tough ones coming up right away, and. The way Black Nebraska played tonight, that that's not going to be good enough against the two teams coming up. No, it's not. And that was I mean, that like that's my main takeaway is like this is this was fine against Penn State because Penn State, they're now 0 5 in conference. They haven't they haven't gotten over the hump in conference play. Nebraska obviously was one and three coming in, but I think they were better than their record indicated. Like this is you can't have the same kind of performance against other teams in this conference. Yeah. I mean Um you go on the road right. at, at Indiana uh, to to start next week, and then and then Michigan State comes to town. So like it, you, Nebraska has until Monday to figure it out. And like you said, it's not all doom and gloom. Like it, this is going to be a a season. I think that's that's very sort of a razor thin margin either either way. I think Nebraska mm-hmm. probably finishes about five hundred in the Big Ten, which in this year that's that's plenty enough to get into the tournament, but. You play a game like tonight where where you, you don't even go to your bench in the second half. Like this team has has three players who, who can be really good and can all hurt you individually on, on a given night. But in, for a team that not just probably has expect expectations to make the tournament, but but to get the program first win, the elusive first tournament win, you know, that they're they're looking limited in a lot of ways right now. Yeah, and, and I just wanna like preface this talk with like it sounds super negative and we're like talking a little more negative than you probably would expect after a win but like this is the the situation that this team is in because of the expectations that they have on them because of you know like miles didn't get his contract extension everybody knows the situation that he's in they've got they've got a a group of four guys in their starting lineup that are veterans that three of them aren't going to be here next year like this is a group that should be good and somebody was asking me tonight, like, what's the ceiling for this team? I think the ceiling is, like, sweet sweet 16. Like, I think they could win two games in the tournament. So, like, this stuff needs to get figured out now because if it doesn't get figured out now, you might not even win a game in the tournament. Um, I want to talk to you about Glenn Watson um, in a second because I think, like, he had that shot at the end of the game that everybody was like, dude, what are you doing? And I, some of the decision-making with him, it's like the perfect um, example of this team kind of reverting back to the thing that everybody is so worried about with Nebraska. But at first I want to talk about Roby because like, I have been waiting for him, and I know Jacob has as well. Um, Jacob Padilla has written about him and, and some of the flashes that he had in the Iowa game. I didn't think that Roby, to this point in the season, had had the kind of like, stand up, look at me, I'm the best player on the floor game that his talent maybe suggests that he should have. And I think tonight against Penn State, I think that was the game. I mean, he was everywhere. And like 
the numbers, he had a 28 game early in the season. So like the numbers, like he didn't have a 30 point game. What did he finish with? 22 and 11. So it's his first double double since February of last year. The 22 points is a career high, but eight of nine shooting from the field, two of three um, from three point range. Defensively, he's really, really good. He's always been really good. He's just, he's a very aware defender. Um, and he's a good lateral defender and good in space. But offensively, sometimes he just looks like he's not comfortable and he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. Uh, the dunk that he had was just like a perfectly timed cut. Like it was like he was operating off instincts instead of thinking too much. And he, I think you were starting to see like this guy kind of be like, oh, I am really good. I can do this stuff. I am more athletic than people. Let's take advantage of that. And I think that's what everybody has been waiting for with Roby. Did you kind of get that same sense from him tonight that this was like a game that maybe things started to click a little bit for him? Yeah, he he was everywhere against Penn State. And, you know, coming off the heels of a loss to Iowa, but one where where he played played really well, um, seeing him put those back-to-back in in a game where just with the flow of it, Nebraska really needed somebody to step up and do that. You know, he also had four blocks, um, and this, you know, doesn't come as a surprise, four fouls. So, you know, he's always kind of right on that brink. Um, yeah. But, you know, he, he he's out there, and he's, he's hustling, and he's making plays, you know, not just stuff in the stat sheet, but a bunch of stuff that doesn't even show up there. And he, they kind of needed it tonight. You know, Copeland was, was pretty quiet. He's been playing really well of late. Palmer – had zero two point field goals on the night, um, which is, you know, bizarre finished with 11 points. You know, Watson was sort of looking at his line now finished with 19, eight of 16 shooting. But like, if you had told me that at the end of the game, before I looked at the box score, I would have said, no way. Like it didn't, it didn't feel like he, he played that well. You know, he was very streaky. Yep. You mentioned the, yeah, he did there. You know, there was a stretch late where, Nebraska was was trying to put some distance between itself and Penn State, and he he came up with some big plays. You know, he had the mm-hmm. the three that that touched every part of the rim, and fell in that I felt really kind of gave Nebraska that breathing room they'd struggled to get the whole time. But then you know, mm-hmm. a possession later, you, you let one go early in the shot clock, and, and kind of gives Penn State new life again. And you know, it's uh, it's it's just tough. You know. It, all that stuff feels familiar, and I think with a team that's as veteran as this one, you, you would hope that uh, the bad familiarity parts of it w- would continue to fade away. And I think we've still seen a, a few key ones that are that are still around. Uh, so, so I was on my drive to Oklahoma. I was listening to some stuff about this team and offensively. Um, people wanting Miles to adapt a little bit offensively, to change things up a little bit. I And Jacob had some of these numbers in his in his piece that he wrote on, on HailVarsity.com that Isaiah Roby has been really good in the pick and – not in the pick and roll. He's been really good in the post. He has not been good in the pick and roll. When they put him in the post and when they, when they run things th- through him there, and this is something that I just – I want to see more of, and I, it feels – like common sense to me, and Miles won't do it, but he started to do it a little bit tonight. Like Roby was involved offensively so much more, and a lot of it, like his his passing instincts and his willingness to make the right play, regardless of whether it's him getting a bucket or somebody else getting a bucket. Like he, it feels like they have the personnel and the ability to just run kind of a four out, inside out brand of offense with Roby running things and they did it a little bit tonight. There was one possession in the second half where every action that they ran, Roby was involved. He had either a touch or he set a screen uh, or he was posting a guy up or he was setting an off ball screen. Like for the, however long the possession was like Roby got, Roby was involved in everything that they tried to do. And it ended with a good shot. It didn't fall, but it ended with a good shot. And I just feel like, he needs to be so much more involved in their offense. He, I think he's their best offensive player. Palmer is just, he's very, he's a very tunnel vision scorer. And he, he's very streaky. I, I think Roby needs to be much more of an offensive centerpiece than he is. And part of that is him being more comfortable. But part of that is also force feeding him. And I think you started to see a little bit of that tonight. I mean, what, what, what do you 
do you think he's being utilized the right way, or do you do you want to see more from him? I I, I want to see more. You know, the consistency has always been kind of the one the one hang up with him, and I think I think you kind of hit on it. What what we might be seeing now is is a mixture of a, a little bit of force feeding, but it also is coming at a point. You know, coming off that Iowa game and then seeing what we saw on Thursday, I think you know. Roby finally showed a little bit more willingness to, to take charge, um, to, to take the, the open, you know, standstill threes that he, he was passing up a lot early in the season. Um, you know, he's, he's knocked a couple of those down these past couple of games. So it, it might be a little bit of, of both of those things, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting, you know, that that's probably a good question for, for coach miles next time he's, he's available is like, you know, was there, was there a sit down? Was there a talk like, Hey, look, we need you to, 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 to be the guy for us at times. Or if it's just kind of happened naturally, because I think it has felt different for him the past couple of games and to come into the, the Penn state game and see an offense that occasionally looked different and that, and how often it went through Roby, you know, you, you might be having a, a, a sort of intersection at, at just the right time for Nebraska in terms of, uh, developing a different, uh, if not better, but hopefully, uh, offensive identity. At the, uh, where was it at? I just had it. Five and a half minutes to go in the first half, Penn State takes a 26 to 23 lead. And it was, I mean, it was back and forth to that point, but Penn State had kind of sh- was starting to stretch to pull away a little bit. Thomas Allen has seven straight points. Is he, I mean, Potential-wise, I think he is their future after you get after Palmer and Watson and Copeland and maybe Roby leaves this offseason, maybe. But the three guys, the three guards, or the two guards, excuse me, are leaving. I, where does Thomas Allen fit in? Like, because when I watch him play, when he takes charge, when he, like, attacks, he looks like the, he could be their second-best player. Yeah. Like, where does he fit in offensively on this team? Yeah, I, I I like him a lot, and he he shows you in spurts what what he's able to do, and and oftentimes it, you know it, it feels like it comes at key times. You know he was he was huge in the Creighton game to help kind of put a big lead out there for Nebraska and keep them pretty comfortable that the whole time. I think he's in sort of a tough spot in that this team has has been Glenn Watson's team, you know at least from a kind of point guard perspective uh, that it's it's tough for him to. As as a younger player, probably feel like he can he can really take charge. So I think that's why you see it somewhat sporadically. But you know, it's you've got the the seniors on this on this Nebraska basketball team who who've done a lot over the course of their three years and, and are certainly the people you look to first. But of late, you know, when the, they started to lose a couple of the Big Ten games to to start conference play, you've seen those two guys, Allen and Roby kind of step up and really make make a bunch of the key plays. I mean, you know, Palmer's had some really good games over that stretch too, and Copeland has as well. So, you know, we're not trying to downgrade what they do. But, yeah, it's 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 weird because I think Allen's play makes me want to see more of him. I just think it's kind of a tough situation for, for him to totally fit in with everything Nebraska brought back in terms of veteran experience. Right. What What is your – I mean, what what is your – overall kind of gut feeling telling you heading into this this next stretch that that Nebraska's heading into they got at Indiana who is now ranked um on on Monday Michigan State comes to town like you said next Thursday they go at Rutgers who just beat a ranked Ohio State team then they play the ranked Ohio State team and then they play Wisconsin like do you feel better about this team or do you still are you still worried I mean, I don't think I'm any more worried than than I was. Like, as we we've gotten into Big Ten play, some of the kind of classic miles miles era limitations um, have become a little bit more apparent. So, so that's a problem long term. But but short term, like I think Nebraska is going to be fine. Um, they didn't play that well against Penn State um, in in some very specific spots still came away with a win. You know, it wasn't the win that I think anybody wanted or we were expecting to see necessarily, but 
wins a win. So, I mean, they're going to knock off, you know, some of these teams. I don't, I don't know that I'm going to predict for them to win either of their, their next two games in particular. Um, but they've got a shot. And, and like I said, you know, the, I think there's, the, they'll probably go on a run at some point here over the, the remaining big 10 play. And they, they also might, you know, drop back to back games again. Uh, it's, it's just feels like that kind of season. Um, and yeah, it's probably not what Husker fans hope for coming into the year. Uh, but I, they can still get there from there. I think, I think it's okay. Like, let them fight through this this ultra tough year in the Big Ten, and and see where they're at at the end. Because you know, like you said, I think Sweet Sixteen is is probably a pretty good ceiling. Like you, you get into the tournament, and it, it can look really tough. With like, oh well, Nebraska doesn't have much of a bench, and if there's foul trouble, like they're they're in real trouble. Yeah, but if you get into a game where none of those things happen, um, they're they're pretty good. You know, they're they're the guys that. At some point, you know, at various points early in the season, people were talking about four or five, six seeds. So they they can be both of those things. Um, and, and I'm not sure saying they're they're too far away from that, too too far away from the middle either way right now. Well, and and I mean, like you you were talking about, you know, you could drop two games here or there. Like they could go ten and ten in league play, and if they if you've got I mean, like, if you've got a win over Michigan State yeah. or if you've got, like, a win at Michigan, like, that's enough with their non-conference schedule to to feel pretty good about getting into the tournament. Like, the and the Big Ten is just, like, I tweeted this uh, Wednesday night, like, Rutgers beat Ohio State when, for their first conference win. Like, teams are going to beat teams in this league. Like, anyone he's going to win on any given night. Um, Nebraska's bench and the lack of depth worries me. But like, I mean, like you said, the the five starters that they have, they're as good as any five starting as any starting lineup in this league. Yeah. So, um, I think we just gotta, I think we just gotta wait and see. Like I thought that this game could potentially, it it with a loss, this could really start to get into some uh, murky waters. Yeah. But like with a win, like I, I still feel like, you know, we've got a couple games before we really. I guess maybe find out uh, what the true ceiling of the team is, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, even though I just said <laughs> I, I don't expect them to win either of the the next two. You know, it, it would help a lot if they could get one. You know, if you look at this five game stretch, you know, Maryland wasn't ranked at the time, but has been ranked this season. Iowa was ranked. You know, so Maryland, Iowa, Penn State, Indiana, Michigan State to come out of that one and four. Like, I think it doesn't paint a, a pretty picture because you would have lost to the, the four best teams in that. But, you know, even if that happens, like there's there's still plenty of season left. And just looking at the schedule quickly, like sh- should Nebraska get into a spot where where it's behind where it is right now, which, you know, right now they're still in the tournament. Um, well, virtually all the places you look um, this wouldn't be easy, but you would at least have the chance to impress when you finish at Michigan, at Michigan state, Iowa at home. So like yeah. worst case scenario, you know, if they drop a couple, you wouldn't expect along the way, like they can make up some ground there. It's, it's not easy. They'll have to spring an upset, but it, it is there that opportunity. Well, I mean like they could lose, like they could lose at Indiana and they could lose to Michigan State at home. But if those games are close, if those games are back and forth, and maybe it's like uh, a one possession game under a minute to go, like, like I, I want to see things look better than they looked against Iowa, or things look better than they looked against Maryland. You know, because like the interior problems and the rebounding problems against Maryland, and then the the transition defense and the just general like lack of of caring about defense in the Iowa game like if they look better in the the next two games like regardless of result I think uh, it would let a lot of people start to feel a little bit better about the team um I want to let's 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 transition to some football talk uh because there was like really random news uh Thursday afternoon like Mark D'Antonio called a press conference uh Michigan State and nobody really knew what it was about and then he just reshuffled the like positions and titles on his offensive coaching staff. So like Michigan State over their last uh four games, they had two offensive touchdowns and 
didn't average more than four and a half yards per play in any of them. And like they had six points against Ohio State in a loss. They had the 9-6 Nebraska loss. And then they just looked just awful offensively against uh, Oregon in the bowl game. And I guess the quote from D'Antonio at the press conference was like, we're just going to switch some things up offensively. Like, <laughs> or, I mean, I think a lot of people when they saw like, okay, there's a press conference happening. Oh, is D'Antonio stepping down? Or like, what's what's yeah. going on there? And then it's just, okay, stuff wasn't working, but we're not going to make any staff changes. We're just going to like change the way we look. I guess, like, w- I mean, were you one of those people that was thinking that D'Antonio was going to leave? And like, when you found out that he's not leaving, no one's getting fired. Like, what was your reaction to all that? <laughs> yeah, anytime there's a uh, sort of out of context or, or no context press conference, it's just head coach X is speaking at 5:45. That's that's always where your mind goes. And you know, it <laughs> it it wasn't anything like that. I was like, oh, that makes sense. I was like, why? Why now? Is there like, is there something wrong? Is there something we don't know? Um, so to to deal with all of that, and then have a press conference where he's basically like, yeah, we're, we're shuffling roles around here. Um, I mean, Michigan State averaged 18 points a game last year. They only gave up 17, you know. Um, but think back to like where they came in for for that Nebraska game. And on the season, they outscored their opponents by 20 points. Like, it's just, it's it's crazy to, to have a defense that good and, and not be able, especially with everything they had returning, returning quarterback, obviously dealt with some injuries there. But uh, to, to average 18 points a game, that's that's really bad. Like, you could improve by 10 points next year per game and, and just be at average for college football. Um, that, that's a little bit better than average in a Big Ten, typically, but you get the point. So it's um, honestly, it makes me, it, it kind of feels like a last stand for, for Dan Antonio, D'Antonio to me, not, not because I think he's in danger of getting fired by in any means. Um, but to like, not make that change now to be like, I'm going with my guys, you know, that's, that's a pretty bold decision. If it doesn't get better, you know, that there's going to be pressure, like pressure to retire probably, um, so it's, it feels like a big decision, even if there's, you know, <laughs> you, you, you tuned into the press conference and felt a little underwhelmed with that. What was actually, uh, what actually the news was. Yeah. You went in expecting fireworks and then it was kind of like a bus kill. You're like, Oh, <laughs> well, this is not as fun as I thought it was going to be. Um, I want to, I want to get your take on this. So the Minnesota Timberwolves just fired their head coach, uh, Tom Thibodeau, who was really, really good, uh, running Boston's defense way back when Boston was winning NBA titles and then was really, really good for the Chicago Bulls for a stretch there when they had one of the better defenses in basketball. And a lot of what I've heard after he has been fired is like he might not get another head coaching opportunity. The game has passed him by. When you look at the way Michigan State played, at least offensively, when you look at kind of like D'Antonio's I'm going to stick with Brian Lorkey, even though he's injured because he's my guy and he's the one that like earned the spot and, and seniority and all that. And when you look at kind of the, the decisions that he makes in terms of um, like he didn't fire any of his guys, he was like, we're going to roll with this. Like, does it feel like we're getting close to a point where like the game has passed him by and the, the modern era of college football, like he's like just an outdated and, and about to be kind of pushed out of? college football like do you get that sense from this um a a little bit i mean i think that's true to a degree for the the game is so focused on offense and you know and and we're even seeing it in the nfl now um but but college has been training that way for for quite a while that for the, the the hardcore sort of defensive coaches like the the kind of classic big 10 approach like we're going to play tough defense and we're going to average 28 points a game and and that's how we're going to win you know so we're going to punt from the 38 yard line right sort of the michigan approach you know harbaugh's trying to trying to play that way um because that's kind of where they come from and it's it's not that that can't be successful but i mean when nick saban who was very much in that school and, and did it as well as anybody in the early years at alabama um in fact you know said that no huddle football was was ruining the game how it's it's not football to you know make the changes he has to his offense 
really feels like a bellwether moment. Uh, and I think the Big Ten will kind of be the the last holdout because that style is a little bit more entrenched here, although it was pretty heavy in the SEC too. Um, will kind of be the last holdout for, for these kind of guys. But it, it does feel a little bit like, hey, this is where – where football's going, everybody's spreading out, and that's how the game's going to be played. And for, for you know, it, it makes me sad a little bit, even though I enjoy watching that kind of football because I want as many styles as as possible. That's part of what makes college football great. But yeah, it, it it's it's not trending up. I guess is is the way I'd put it. What is uh, what is your overall kind of? temperature gauge of the the east right now because obviously urban meyer's out at ohio state ryan day's in he's kind of doing everything he can to implement his own guys get his own staff in there he obviously he pulled michigan's uh defensive coordinator to be the co-defensive coordinator and then also got the guy that was it was he with the tampa bay bucks do i remember that correctly yeah, I've, I'm trying to remember. You know, they've made a bunch of staff moves of, of late. Um, yeah, he he brought uh, Mike Yurcich in from Oklahoma State to coordinate the yeah. passing game. Um, Michigan brought in Alabama's offensive coordinator because he had such a great showing his last time out uh, to run Jim Harbaugh's offense. Uh, Maryland obviously has a new coach. Like, what's what's going on in the East right now? <laughs> Good question. Um, <laughs> you know. I was asked in a radio radio interview this week about the about the East and with like Michigan is probably the returns the surest thing. Now we've seen a pretty firm ceiling with Michigan. Ohio State's still going to be going to be really good until until they prove otherwise. And and Penn State I think will continue to be okay. Although it does start to feel like if you know we heard Franklin's name mentioned for USC if that job were to open. Like it, it kind of feels like we might be getting to a point with Penn State where if he has an opportunity at like a USC or something similar, you know, which is is not a huge upgrade, but it, it's it's a, it's an upgrade. Uh, there, there's questions about him, about sort of the ceiling at Penn State. So you got Michigan, Penn State dealing with ceiling. You got Ohio State dealing with new coach, Maryland dealing with new coach. So I said on that radio interview, I'm like, you know, Michigan State, despite how they finished, kind of could be the surest thing. Like they're dealing with, I think the fewest questions. Um, and you know, D'Antonio's bounced back numerous times over, over the course of his career from, from seasons that were a little bit disappointing. That was all before they, they announced that, uh, apparently they drew, they drew their new offensive roles out of a hat. Um, just so nobody would have to, would have to move on, which, which credit to D'Antonio for, for that, that loyalty. But, um, Man, you know, maybe maybe there's more wrong there than I was uh, an- anticipating. Certainly on the offensive side. I just want to put one name on the table for you, Chris Ash, <laughs> the Scarlet Knights, waiting in the wings. Everybody else is dealing with question marks. Arthur Sikowski comes out and just lights everyone up. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great story? It would. It would be. Um unbelievable like they've been <laughs> they've been so far removed Sikowski you know, granted was a freshman and like they threw him to the walls man I don't remember his numbers offhand but go look those up at some point when you're when you're feeling feeling blue one day and you'll be like ah all right you know things could always be worse like they were they were rough and you know oh my goodness uh, <laughs> 49% completion yeah uh, four touchdowns and 18 interceptions yeah that Ooh. <laughs> um and it's just you okay, know take the name off the table <laughs> well i yeah, i was gonna say like i don't know how you jump right over right over greg smith's favorite favorite coach tom allen indiana oh, i forgot about indiana they're doing some they're doing some pretty good things like i feel like they're a consistently tough out like they're a little bit i don't know what the, the best comparison is for them but like their recruiting seems to have ticked up a little bit. Now they've made some some coaching, some assistant coaching changes too. That all that'll have an impact on that. But they're the team with Maryland. Like Maryland's going to get. Maryland was always pretty talented, and they're going to get a talent upgrade with Loxley because like that is his backyard, and he's already a good recruiter. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of questions about what kind of coach he'll actually be based on his his early time as a as a head coach. Um, so. Now's the time for uh, for a school like Indiana to make your move. It's just there's such a huge gap to cover to like 
overtake any of the top four that, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like they could even move up too much, even if they, they made up as much, much ground as they could. Dude, Tom Allen is like, he would be at the top of the list in terms of like sneaky guys that you wouldn't want to meet in a back alley. Like he's big. I didn't realize how big he was until we saw him at media days. He's a big dude. He, he is a big dude, and, you know, he's he's coached defense for a long time. He coached defense in, in Mississippi, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, at the time they made that move from Kevin Wilson, like, and granted, given what we know now, the, the move there was, was probably justified. And I was like, Tom Allen, like, who's this guy? Like, you know, they're not going to go back out there. Because, you know, that's a, that's a big swing for Indiana to go after a guy like Kevin Wilson, Oklahoma offensive coordinator, and get him, um, and it kind of worked. Like they can just never pair a defense with with an offense that was frequently among the, the highest scoring in the Big Ten. Uh, so I was not optimistic about their prospects under Allen, and you know he plays it a different way, a different style. But they they remained a, a team that you have to go out and beat, which is uh, that's an improvement for Indiana football on a on a historical level when you just look at what that program has traditionally been. Right. So Ohio State makes the change from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. In a lot of ways, to me, this kind of feels like the same situation that Lincoln Riley stepped into at Oklahoma, where he's coming into a loaded roster. He's going to have a really, really good quarterback who just happens to also be a transfer. Uh, he's kind of putting his own stamp on things. He's going to have, I, I think Yersich is going to be real a real underrated hire this offseason. When you look at Ohio State and you look at all the changes in the, that the East has gone through, is this... Is this time for the West to maybe uh, step up and take hold of a conference that has, over the last however many seasons, been in, under East control? Or is this still Ohio State's, I guess, kind of thing until somebody else proves otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly the time for the West to kind of, like, make its move. Um, you, you've got some exciting young coaches on that side. The, the East is in... It's not in chaos, but there are questions there. You know, what's the six-year outlook for Michigan? What's the six-year outlook for Penn State? Um, you, you think those questions are probably answered, but, you know, anytime a program that has high expectations comes up against a ceiling that's a little bit short of them, it, it becomes a problem pretty quickly. Um, so in that regard, like, this might be a good time for, for Ohio State to make the move that they did. You know, I wrote about this after after the Rose Bowl, like it's almost inevitable that Ryan Day is not going to have as much success as Urban Meyer because virtually no one would. Um, so I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how far away from from Meyer's level he he actually ends up being. You know, he'll he'll have a lot of wiggle room just based on the talent that's already on hand and the talent Ohio State's always going to get. So yeah, you could convince me that, you know, we need to see that Ohio State is going to drop a game or two that maybe they wouldn't have in, in the past. And I think that would that would probably be the extent of the difference. It might be a, another game or two, but it'll feel massive for Ohio State fans if that happens. Okay, let's get your uh, let's wrap this up and talk about the national championship game that happened. Um, I, I don't think anybody was expecting what we saw Monday night for Clemson to dominate in all three phases of the game against Alabama. Uh, I don't think I don't think many people were expecting to see that. We haven't really ever seen that from a Nick Saban coach team. Uh they I I made it, I was Greg and Greg Smith and I were watching that game together and I made the comment to him I was like I'd never thought I would see the day Alabama quit in a football game. Um but I mean that was the position that Clemson put them in and I mean I I kind of I we were talked about this a little bit Greg and I did. That was a game that was won in the trenches, and it was maybe more evident than a lot of other games I've watched. Like Clemson's defensive line in particular just dominated Alabama, and their offensive line had a really, really good game too. I mean, they they set the tone in the trenches, but that defensive line um, just, I mean, just really, really dominated Alabama. What 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 do you think that says about? the level of play that you have to have from your lines to be able to win at the highest level. And what do you think that game said about Nebraska's current standing and kind of how far away they are from getting back to what 
everybody in Lincoln wants them to get back to. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it illustrated that there's there's still a pretty good amount of ground to cover, you know, particularly on the defensive line, I think. Um, now, Clemson's defensive line, current defensive line, you know, may go down as historically good once you factor into, like, what I think some of those guys are going to be at the NFL level, much less how good they were at the college level. Um, it's a It's a pretty unique collection of talent. And I think you you see year in and year out in the playoff that dominant defensive line play. I mean, because that's what Clemson and both in Alabama and, and Ohio State, you know, certainly kind of being just off that top two, uh, they they always have good defensive lines, and that's that's tough because that's the the one spot where I look at. I mean, it's true to true at all spots to some degree, but you talk about recruiting limitations and being having access to talent and, and all those things. Like I think it's particularly true in the defensive line. Those guys are in the South for the most part, and they don't often go far away. Um, Ohio state does okay. Landing some of them. Um, and f- for Nebraska, I think that's kind of like the biggest hurdle out there, you know, and it's, it's not that teams can't win without that, but run down the list of national champions and, and tell me the, the first average off or defensive line you find um, you got to go back pretty far now with, with Nebraska, you know, it's, it's not that they can't ever have that, that sort of line. I don't think, but it's, it, it seems like really remote, you know, that the 2009 defensive line kind of gives you a little bit of hope. If you think that's a, a box, any hopeful national champion has to check. And then, you know, Sue was of course like a once in a generation player and he helped all those guys around him. But look at that that defensive line as a whole. It was a pretty talented defensive line. We had Jared Crick, Barry Turner. Um, it was like so. It's not like Nebraska can't do it. I just think it's 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 hard to do for any team, and, and harder in Nebraska's case than it would be on the offensive line, if if that makes sense. Yeah. So, and you asked me this kind of before, like. And I don't. It was probably a rhetorical question, but you were like, like when? When was the last average defensive line to win a championship? And like, for comparison's sake, this sets up pretty nicely. This team didn't win the national championship, but they played for the national championship. Twenty fifteen, the first year of the playoff, or twenty fourteen, I guess the game was in twenty fifteen. Uh, Oregon plays Ohio State, yeah. and that was kind of like, I mean, that was the Scott Frost Oregon Ducks team. That was the really really fast Oregon Ducks team that didn't that didn't have the the big bad boys on the defensive line. And then it was the Ohio state team that had a really good defensive line. And that team, that Oregon team got smacked. It was 42 to 20. Like, is that, is that just the way that it is in college football right now? Or like, is that, I mean, like obviously it's a little bit different now because offenses are even more explosive now than they were however many years ago, four, five years ago. But like, that was a really, really good Oregon ducks offense. And, and, didn't really stand a chance against Ohio State. Like, is that the situation that Nebraska is going to find itself in if they try to go with this all defense, just make enough, or all offense, excuse me, just make enough defensive plays to win games? Like, when they get into the the games at the highest level against the best teams in the country, like, do you think that's going to be something that they consistently butt heads with? Or, like, I mean, what, I guess, like, is that an issue stylistically with the way Nebraska's heading? I mean, I, I, I think, you know, obviously we need to have Nebraska get to that point. Um, but, you know, fast forwarding it, because I think about this all the time, hypothetically, too. Like the recent examples that we have are not kind to that. And, you know, we're just talking about like winning at the highest level. Um, so you mentioned Oregon, you know, I would put Oklahoma's playoff teams in sort of the, oh, 100%. the, the same category. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, if those those offenses are super good, and they they score points on on almost anybody. But you see, um, with with teams that are similarly talented or even more talented, I guess in most cases, you know, if if they can, you give them a week off to to prepare. If you're playing a national title game, or if you're in the playoff, you got a whole month to get ready for that. Um, you, you've probably got defensive backs that are going to be able to match up with some some pretty good receivers. That helps. So it, it kind of all funnels back down to 
to the line and, and who's going to win it because no matter what kind of high flying offense you're, you you want to run, you know, you need to be able to run the ball or at least pose the threat of the run. And you need to be able to have time to pass, even if you try to quicken that up as, as much as you can. Like the, the, the athletes are just at such a high level that they can take away some things. Um, and you know, it, it becomes that kind of classic thing of defense is, is reactive and, and the team that can play the best that way, I think, always has a little bit of an advantage because they're not choosing what they do, but they're still winning the majority of the time. And that's that's tough. And I think it becomes tough for those teams, like if they don't have success early, um, you know, they have to start looking for answers while the defense just gets to uh, just gets to keep playing and, and feeding off the momentum. So until until so, until we see something different, um, it, it's hard to say that, yeah, that's you know, don't worry about that. Um, because we haven't really seen great examples of it at the highest, highest levels uh, winning out. Right. And Alabama currently has maybe the best recruiting class uh, ever coming in for this, this next season. And like, if you look at the last couple of years, like the teams that have the best recruiting classes are typically the teams that when we get to the end of the season, they look like they're the best teams in the country. Um, but you know, a lot of people, a lot of Nebraska fans will say, well, look at Nebraska teams in the 80s and 90s when they were winning huge. It was development. It wasn't always the best recruiting classes, but it was Nebraska was just so much better at everybody than at developing players. And maybe the wild card in all this for Nebraska becomes Zach Duvall. Like, does, and Scott has talked about this before, you know, like, when he was at Oregon, he was upset with the lack of physicality that the Ducks yeah. had. And when he got to, to Orlando and Central Florida, there was the, you know, if we could pair um, that fast offense with Husker power, I don't think we'd lose a game. And they didn't lose a game. And then he gets to Nebraska, and he's trying to do the same thing here. Like, is Duvall the wild card? And and I know, you know we're, like, way far in the future here, but right. we're falling into the same trap that the way-too-early polls are. Uh, <laughs> but, like, is, is Duvall the wild card in all of this in terms of – Nebraska and, and Scott being a part of that kind of emphasis on development like is that something that maybe can be a playing field leveler for the Huskers yeah I don't I, I wouldn't call him the wild card I might call him the linchpin um, because so you know if we can agree or at least agree to go down the path of like look if you want to compete for national titles you're gonna have to have a, a near elite defensive line um, oh we agree okay so yeah let's say that that's a realistic thing that you need to have. Nebraska is not going to recruit that. They're just, they're just not like, you know, they're, they're not going to get a guy, a defensive end who looks like the five-star defensive end at Alabama. Who's coming in basically ready-made, but if they can identify, you know, what that kid can be, like he may not look like him coming out of high school, but if they see, you know, the frame and the, the quick twitch and all this, whatever stuff, you know, they really care about and pay attention to and know that, Hey, we've got time to, to get them to that point. Like that's how I think you can get there. So, so for that reason, like the evaluation part of it becomes key. And, you know, and you know, you and I both heard like the way that the coaches and, and Duvall sort of talk about these guys, they're, they're looking at this things like, what can this guy be? Not what mm-hmm. is he? Because Nebraska doesn't often have the luxury. Occasionally they do, you know, as, as, as a top 10 program, but, all time, of course, um, the luxury of just recruiting those guys and, and plug and play like they're going to have to build them. And that's kind of how it was always done at Nebraska. And I don't think, you know, nobody knows that better than Frost and Duval. So I think they're I think they come in prepared to do that. Maybe Ty Robinson is the perfect case study then for this. Yeah. Getting set up. He, he might be, you know, because like. A lot, a lot of people like him. He was very, very high on their board. They obviously made him priority, um, and you know he's he's fairly highly rated for among defensive ends in the country. Um, yeah. But but he's not. He's not a guy where you're like, well, yeah. He, if he were here now, he could just jump right into spring practice and be ready to go. I mean, obviously he'd practice, but um, you know, it's just he needs to put weight on. He needs you know, yeah. So he's a guy that you look at it and you're like. Two years from now, what yep. are you? If you're really good, then we hit on this. And if you're not really good, then this is a miss. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon, what are you working on over the coming weeks? Yeah, working on our, uh, our, our recruiting issue, which is coming out in January this year. We sort of made a change with, um, with early signing 
and you know we ended up with enough i think really good stories on on that end that you know we may end up doing almost back-to-back ones so so this january issue might be a little bit focused on the early enrollees which i know you have a story um coming in that that um i think i know i'm certainly excited for people to see hopefully you are um considering you're you're doing the writing um i, I know aaron's excited about the story that she has and that's that's all like we're gonna end up i think hitting most of the guys that are on campus now today and, and starting their their new nebraska careers in, in january so that's a big part of it and then sort of all the time at, at this year like i my New Year's resolution is to, and this is my New Year's resolution every year, is to be better at like documenting things, um, which I'm pretty good and obsessive about it, but I always feel like I come up short and and not have the things that I always want. So, for instance, with all these new way too early top 25s, like I've got them all down in my notebook. Like I, I don't know when it's going to be. There's going to be some random day in July where we're going to be like, was Nebraska 18 in the initial Athlon poll or were they 20? So I'm trying to keep track of that stuff. So there's, there's a lot of sort of research and other things like that going on um, this time of year always. You said documenting things and my brain immediately jumped to like taking more pictures of like places that you go because my parents have just been giving me a hard time about like, uh, what did my mom call it? She's, she's like giving me a hard time about just going all over the country and she, I can't remember what she said. She was being a jerk though. So like that was where my brain immediately went was like Instagram documenting all the places that you go. So yeah, I, generational well, divide, I guess. Well, yeah, you know, I I'm not huge on that. <laughs> my my Instagram feed is basically just my my cats, or um, you know, when I end up at a at a, at a random uh, well not random at a at a road football game. So I usually do get at least a photo or two if I'm someplace other than where I am most of the time. Hey, there's a large sect of Instagram that is just cats. Uh, Chris Gorman would love it. So, yeah. It's, uh, Speaking I, of which, Chris Gorman, give me my soundproof podcast studio so that you can stop making fun of the way I intro this podcast if you're listening, which you probably aren't. So, <laughs> I just wanted to get that in there. Sorry for interrupting you, Brandon. Oh no, that's okay. Easter egg for Gorman at the end. We'll find out if he <laughs> listens all the way to the end now. It's a more snugget. No, he just listens to the beginning so that he can continue to make fun of me. Yeah, he's like, ah, cool, play, cool podcast, guys. Great work. Yep. It's got me super self-conscious about the intro now. Yeah. So. Still, still works for me. So. <laughs> All right, Brandon, thank you for uh, taking some time out of your Thursday night to join the podcast. I know it's late for you there. Um, we will be back next Friday with another podcast. We will have plenty of coverage on com throughout the week. We've got men's and women's basketball. Uh, It's kind of a slower period. There's not as many sports going on, but we'll still have coverage. Uh, So just keep it with Hale Varsity and uh, listen to Chris Schmidt on the radio. He's got some good people over the last years. He always has good people. Uh, So just listen to him. Follow Brandon on Twitter. Uh, Follow him on Instagram for cat photos. And uh, we will talk to you guys soon. Brandon, thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys.